Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, welcome to the Finding Backcountry podcast. And, uh, you know, I take these little hiatuses from time to time. Hopefully right before this, I'll, I'll put out just kind of a, you know, what's what's going on and where I've been, where I've been and what I've been doing and why the three or four month hiatus, but, um, this will just be a, a back to normal episode and, you know, things just kind of work out certain ways. And I've got, uh, man, I've got one of those guys here, uh, that was just, you know, this is, this is a guess that this is why I do the podcast. Cause it just gives me an excuse to talk guys like into like, uh, David Long into talking to me. So, uh, Man, David, how how you doing, man? Pretty good, man. Appreciate you having me on, Justin. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I I totally mean that when I say it's my pleasure. Like, you know, this I've said before, this podcast is is purely selfish. Um, just I have an excuse to to pin guys like you down, and you know, I I maybe because we're offering stuff out to the world, you're willing to sit down and and bring value to guys like me or whatever, but. Yeah, man. No, I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and just, and just kind of BS and chat. And, uh, no, I mean, it's, yeah, to- usually I'm a pretty hard one to pin down, man, <laughs> but I've been kind of watching what you've been doing, you know, kind of enjoy what you've been doing, following you and everything. Uh, you know, after talking to you last week, it's definitely something I wanted to do. And, uh, like I said, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why I've been in the industry so many years. I just like sharing what I can, you know, hopefully help somebody else, get them a big buck or buck of a lifetime. So it's always great hearing those, you know, feedback from these guys saying, Hey man, your book helped me out killing this big buck. And, you know, it just doesn't get any better than that. So it, it yeah. definitely makes it worthwhile. Yeah. We, we stood in the, you know, the foyer at my work the other day and, and just kind of you know, just reminisced about some stories. Maybe we'll talk about some here, but it was just like, we were just kind of hunting buddies, you know, almost like, Oh yeah, that one buck and this buck and that story. And, and, uh, it, re- it really is just the, it's the good part of the, the whole, you know, the hunting industry and the, and the, some of the stigmas and the problems that that are involved with it. I mean, that's, this is the side that's, that, uh, keeps me interested, you know? That's good. I'm glad to hear that. And I really enjoyed, you know, standing up there and talking to you, you know, and I've always just considered myself, like say, just a normal Joe Blow. I mean, man, there's so many guys out there, you know, in some of these small communities that, you know, killed a lot bigger deer than I have, you know, and they killed a lot of big deer and uh, they just choose, you know, not to make it public. You know, they kind of, they're afraid people are going to get into their honey holes, you know, mm-hmm. but that's something I chose to do in the past, you know, was just kind of make it public. And it, just cause I really, like say, it wasn't for myself. It was just that I wanted to share information. So, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that kill big deer, but I'm just one that, you know, kind of chose to make it public and share that information. But, yeah. you know, before we get going too deep, man, I just wanted to thank you for that tour of the Gunworks facility up there last week. I'm meeting the rest of the staff up there. I'm mean, greatly appreciated. You guys got a heck of an operation up there. Yeah, yeah, it was per- it was uh, per- perfect timing because you uh, you know you caught us right after we right after I we apologize. moved. Apologize, my dogs are barking. 
Oh, I got two here. You want me to have mine bark too? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let me shut the door. Sorry oh, about that. You're good. You're good. Okay. Right, we're go all ahead. we're all uh, we're all dog people here. No no cat no cat lovers yeah. listen to this. They, podcast. Just, they just wanted to make sure and get in on the podcast. Too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, no, that was perfect timing when you you kind of came through and you've been pushing that uh, latest book that you wrote on the the Wyoming uh, mule deer, and we can I, you know I think. I, I think that's a good like wrap up for this. You know, we can talk about that and where to find it and stuff, but, um, okay. Yeah, no, that we, we got into that new building and just finally uh, getting settled in. So it's, you know, I, people who've listened to this probably know I used to sell insurance and man, the difference of selling a product in general and no offense to insurance salesmen out there. I still know quite a few, um, <laughs> but the difference of just, you know, it wasn't something that I particularly loved and the difference mm -hmm. of, you know, working or, or being a part of a job of something that, you know, a guy like, you know, you or one of my friends comes through and, and wants to know more about it. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about it and it's just, it's a fun, it's a fun environment to be in. So. Yeah. And I could tell you were excited and you know, mm -hmm. very passionate about what you do. So that's why I told you guys, I mean, man, you guys are very fortunate, you know, doing what you're doing and yeah. uh, being in the industry, selling guns like that. I mean, like I say, it's, it's obvious you're passionate about it and enjoy it. So yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of like, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, well, let me, let me even back up from there. I mean, you know, you, you were a, like you said, you were kind of a public guy. I mean, you were, you know, I grew up kind of watching your stuff through Eastman's obviously. And, uh, some of your couple of your first books and, you know, you were, you were, you were a little bit, even before that really social media time. Um, you know, I feel like I knew about you before social media is really a thing. And, uh, you know, and then even social media, I mean, you're, I, I feel like you were kind of active there and then, um, I mean, call it what it is. I mean, you've been kind of incognito here for three or four years. Um, I, I have been. And to be honest with you, I've only been on social media for five years, I think, you know, or six years, whatever it is, but not, not a long time. It seems like anyway, but yeah, I mean, I, my career goes back a ways, you know, I mean, obviously, like you said, I was working for Eastman's back then and, you know, but it all started with that first Wyoming's finest book, you know, I mean, a buddy, Scott Manser and I, you know, we were fans of the uh, Utah's biggest book and the Colorado biggest bucks books. And we were kind of surprised that nobody had ever done one for Wyoming. So, you know, and we were just two rednecks from big piney Wyoming, you know, and we had no idea how to put together a book. And it's like, man, let's do it before somebody else does, you know, and I, I think everybody else in the community kind of looked at us like we were nuts but man we went ahead and we did it and it's amazing we didn't know anything about it but we just kind of learned as we went on the fly and we got that thing published in 1998 and, you know it turned out to be one heck of a book and obviously we can touch on the second edition later on but we just barely got that done but yeah it, it goes back a long ways and then you know got to know mike eastman really well and started writing for them you know and i was just kind of doing some freelance stuff for them early on and then uh, became ultimately the hunting editor for their uh, rifle magazine, uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal, and then ultimately became the editor for the bow hunting journal after Cameron Hayes left for a short bit there. So, yeah, so I've been in the industry for a long time. You know, I did a uh, Magnum Muley's video series. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was back in the early 2000s when that was. So, yeah, I think I've got four books out now. So, yeah, it's been a, it's good, been a good little stint. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and 
you know, you and I talked off off record here, and you know, correct me if I'm out of out of bound here, but I mean, the last four years. I mean, do you want to go into that, or just it's it's your deal? You know, and- just yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know, I guess I needed a break from yeah. the hunting industry, you know, and hunting altogether. So three, this fall will be the third year in a row that I haven't hunted. And I'll be honest with you and all your listeners, Dustin, you know, I mean, I didn't know if I was ever going to pick up a rifle or a bow ever again. I mean, the last three years have been good. I mean, it's been great, actually. I mean, I've got married, you know, to my beautiful wife, Gia. And, uh, you know, we live here in Colorado. We're looking to move to Houston. But it's something where I needed the break, but in talking with my wife here a couple of weeks ago, you know, she could tell that I was really missing the hunting. I mean, shoot, it's been, it's been part of my life ever since I was a young kid. You know, I've been so passionate about hunting mule deer and the high country itself, you know? Uh, so it's one of those things where we had a conversation and we got to talk about it and we both agreed, you know, I miss it and I really need to get back into it. So Obviously, I didn't put in for any draws this year, so I won't be hunting this fall. But uh, in 2021, uh, going to see what I can do to get some tags and yeah. just kind of get back into it and uh, not necessarily do a lot as far as the industry side of it goes. But I just want to have some fun and, you know, hopefully bring some big bucks home. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and hopefully and I, I uh, I'm sure, you know, anyone listening would agree. I mean, it it comes from a, from a, you know, that question comes from a place of, of respect, you know, honestly, it's not, uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I, there's days where I'm like, man, like if I could just, you know, my, so my wife and I just moved to a new house and we haven't put mm-hmm. up our, we haven't put up our TV yet. And, right. uh, we just, it kind of went for a few days and then a few weeks now. And then it's like, we just haven't put a TV up and, and it kind of reminds you of how life was, um, you know, we, we've always had, I've always grown up with, with TV, but like, it just kind of slows things down a little bit when it's not Netflix and, you know, there's no shows to watch and you can't get sucked in for three or four hours. And I feel like social media is a little bit that way. Um, you know, and, 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 and so I, there's times I respect that more than anything of like thinking, man, like I would love to just drop off the radar, have my job, do my thing, go on my own hunts for myself. And so, but no, it, it hopefully it comes it comes across as from a place of respect and just and just genuine interest. You know, you were a guy that, like I said, I I still look up to and looked up to for a long time and uh, and loved uh, loved you know following and learning from anything that you were willing to put out there. So, that no no, and I really appreciate that, Dustin. And you're right. I mean, social media, man, it's a time suck. You know, I mean, <laughs> and, uh, and my wife and I had had this conversation too. I mean, I wouldn't even have social media if it wasn't for trying to market books, you know, and maybe stay in touch with some family. But, uh, so with that, I mean, obviously I feel like I need to have social media, you know, I mean, so I have a Facebook account, I've got an Instagram account, but I hardly ever use the Instagram account at all. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you just, find yourself mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, you know, and, but I mean, I like seeing big deer just like everybody else, you know, and entertained on there. So, you know, there's, there are obviously some big deer on there, but, but yeah, it's, it's a, I appreciate that. And it's been a nice needed break, but it's it's time to get back. But the main, I guess the main point I'm going to make on that is, you know, I just, I just want to enjoy it. 
going forward. You know, I don't want any pressure from any outside sources, you know, like before when had sponsors and, you know, writing for Eastman's, you just felt like you had to produce something, you know, you couldn't come home with an empty tag and you just felt like you had to write about every product you were using, you know, and I, that's just don't want that going forward. I just want to get back to basics and have fun chasing big mule deer because, uh, it's something I've been passionate about, and uh, I definitely want to be passionate about it again going forward. Uh, were you was your childhood kind of growing up early early childhood and stuff? I mean, is it typical like you were chasing deer with your family from day one, following your dad around in the mountains, or did you kind of get into it later? I, I'm not sure I know there, your story. There was no following my dad around in the mountains because my dad was a road hunter. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and that, I guess maybe maybe that's why I backpack into the most remote country that I can. Because I mean, I remember one time, Dustin. I mean, you know, I mean, I'd always ride around with my dad and his buddy. So obviously, I'm sitting in the middle of the truck. You know, I mean, and we spot this monster buck. I mean, way up on a skyline, and uh, you know, it's probably a thousand yards away. And it would have taken a while to do a stock on it. You know, but. I, I mean, I was begging them to, hey, let me out of the truck so I can go do a stock on this thing. And they wouldn't let me do it. You know, they're like, oh, no, we'll find one closer to the road. <laughs> I just remember that forever, you know. And so that's kind of how I grew up was doing that. And, but there in when I lived in Utah, uh, we used to live kind of right by the foothills. And I used to just grab a 22 and just kind of hike back up in the foothills. and Did a lot of rabbit hunting up there. So that's kind of what I did when I was really young. But, yeah, my early years were road hunting. And uh, that's all. I knew because of my dad, but, uh, once I got old enough to drive to the trailhead on my own, man, it's, uh, it was the back country mm -hmm. for me. So I guess that kind of, he got me going into hunting, but, uh, I knew road hunting wasn't for me in the future. So that's why I hunt the back country. Yeah, man. I, I have a similar story. You know, my, I wouldn't call my dad a road hunter by any means. Um, we would hunt country down in that lower kind of Southeast corner in Nevada that, um, you know, you, you could still find these little pockets of one or two or three mile stretches or, or even, even less, you know, and you, you of all people know a, a big mule deer buck doesn't need, uh, doesn't need much country, um, exactly. to, to hide in between roads and stuff. But, you know, my, my dad, he put, he, I remember him putting on a lot of miles as a kid. Mm -hmm. We would, we would follow him around a lot, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't consider it backcountry hunting, uh, in the least, you know, we were just day, day packing from point A to point B or whatever. And, yeah. and it was really you and Cameron Haynes, honestly, that, um, really opened my eyes because we didn't even know that people did that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're, I'm sitting there and like, I see one of you, one of you two, uh, I think on the cover of maybe it's Cam's book. He's, he's got a, you know, a backpack. I've told this story before, but he's got like a backpack with a mule deer on that he killed. in I don't even know where, uh, maybe in the Eagle cap or whatever. And I saw that and it like hit me like, wait a minute guys are like backpacking and hunting and killing these big bucks and stuff. And it was like, Holy cow, opened my eyes to a whole new world. Kind of like you were, you know, wasn't something yeah, I had to, I had to learn it. You know, I had to learn it. What, what was that experience like for you early on learning how to like backpack hunt? Oh, it, you know, I mean, it was like anybody else when I was out there backpacking in my Levi's, you know, <laughs> and, uh, whenever it got cold and icy, I mean, I remember days when my Levi's were froze all the way up to my knees, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of scary. I mean, thank God, you know, I didn't get trapped somewhere and have to spend the night out, you know, on the mountain and not in camp, you know, with that clothing. Cause with that cotton, you know, uh, underwear and all that, I mean, it would have been deadly, but <laughs> no, I mean, I had, I went through all the equipment things like everybody else. I mean, I used to remember my old Jansport external frame pack, you know, I mean, it used to be, there was no such thing as lightweight equipment back then. So 
you know, you're packing a lot more gear than what you need. So, but over the years, I mean, like I say, definitely evolved. And I think the, the hunting industry was kind of way behind, you know, the backpacking industry, you know? So I always tapped into like the backpack. I was used to get like backpacker magazine and everything and stay up on the latest equipment because like I say, the hunting industry was lagging behind. So yeah. I went to the mountaineering gear, you know, the backpacking equipment in the magazines and found great gear. So I wasn't yeah. using, you know, specialized hunting gear until way later. Man, it's only been the last maybe call it five years where I feel like all like almost all aspects of hunting backpack hunting gear has really even thought about catching up, you know, to like agree, the, agree. the outdoor yeah. outdoor research type uh, or outdoor. Uh, what's the big show in Salt Lake there? They used to have outdoor reach the retailer. Yeah. The yeah. OR, um, yep. you know, that's, that's where guys like you or would have been going to find the real deal type, type yep. equipment. Yeah. Because stuff. they were doing that, you know, and, uh, doing that kind of stuff when nobody was doing it in the hunting industry. So yeah, you had, if you wanted the best gear, you had to go outside of the hunting industry, but it's obviously catching up. I mean, I remember when Sitka first started, you know, I mean, I think they had, I saw an ad in the magazine. I think they had like nine articles of clothing and I'm like, Holy crap, finally a layering <laughs> system, you know, that an entire layering system is made specifically for hunters, you know I mean? So it wasn't long and I had Jonathan Hart and, uh, them on the phone, you know, and talking to them. And I mean, I've used Sitka pretty much ever since. I mean, I used Kuyu for a year, I think, there in between. But yeah, it, it was a great conversation with them. And, uh, you know, I ended up using Sitka. But yeah, it was, it was kind of nice to see that and see the hunting industry finally catching up. Would you say that you're more passionate about mule deer hunting or backpack hunting for mule deer? Uh, definitely passionate about mule deer. Uh, I guess it's a dual passion because the thing I love about it is I love hunting mule deer in the high country. I mean, cause I'm not going to pursue deer in the desert, you know, or anywhere else. I mean, so I guess it's the combination of the two. Uh, you know, it just gives me, I, I love backpacking, just seeing the mountains and the fact that I can hunt deer in that same terrain, you know, I mean, it's just a, yeah, I, I guess it's a combination of both. Yeah. So you, you mentioned not hunting down in the desert and I've always thought about this, right? Like you see guys like, um, I, I, I would compare like you and Jason Carter, right? Polar opposites. Um, Carter loves chasing deer down in the desert and there's, you know, tactics and advantages to that. And then there's tactics and advantages to hunting them up high. I mean, in your mind, I mean, what are two or three of like the key differences that a mountain backpack backcountry mountain hunters going to apply that a desert mule deer hunter wouldn't wouldn't use oh man that's a that's a tough one uh because obviously there's very there's a lot of similarities i mean i guess i'd like to point out one of the most similar techniques you do and it's classing obviously dustin i mean that's it's critical you know i mean whether you're hunting low country high country i mean you've got to have a great glassing technique so but as far as differences uh shoot I think the backcountry hunting is more of a mental game than anything. I mean, you see so many guys, you know, I, I feel like the low country, you know, is typically done out of a hunting rig, you know, at the end of a road or driving around, you know, uh, and it's easy to get out of there. But the high country, I see so many guys, you know, they have visions of going in there for a week-long hunt. They plan it all year long. And then they go in there, you know, and they bust their hump up and down that hill the first day. And shoot, by the second, third day, they're already sleeping in in their tents, you know. <laughs> so uh, and it's the true fact. I mean, you see it time after time. And even, you know, water sources like Colorado, 
there's a lot of water everywhere, but in Wyoming, there's no water in a lot of places, you know, so you end up having to pack your water. So I'd say it just, it just wears on you. I think the high country can wear on you mentally and break you down and make you quit hunting, you know, before you would like on the desert hunt. So, um, you and I had talked when you were here, you know, about chasing big bucks that hang out, um, in places that you don't really expect. Right. And I just, I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on, you know, a guys going in too deep just because it's romantic. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, 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 well, and, and B how you find those pockets that might not be 15 miles deep, but might only be 1.5 miles deep or whatever the case is, you know, how, how you're finding those, uh, generally. Yeah. You know, in the last deer, uh, trying to think of where to start on this, I'll actually go back to the deer that's on the cover of my public land Muley's uh, book. You know, he's, he's the biggest deer I've ever killed. He was a 233 inch non-typical has a 203 typical frame. That buck, the way I locate, and that's, this is the one that kind of opened my eyes to essentially not necessarily going into the back country. Because a buddy, Scott Manser and I, were, were camped over in the Grays River. We were camped right on the road in a tent. And uh, I had visions of hiking, you know, backpacking all the way into the divide up on the, in the Salt River Range that next morning to do a hunt. So I was going to get up at like two in the morning, you know, and be back in there before daylight. But it started raining that night and it just kept downpouring and downpouring. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I don't really feel like trekking in there through all the rain. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. So I ended up just going and finding a good vantage point and glassing. You know, I mean, I was glassing country, you know, like two miles away so I could glass a ton of country. Mm-hmm. And I glassed this big buck right next to a trailhead. I mean, just right above, it was one of the most major trailheads in the Grays River and this buck is probably a quarter mile above the trailhead from the road you know and everybody's going right by him they're going back in on the main trail and nobody's hunting this little piece of real estate so I sit there watching him and it's obvious that you know he's got a Boone and Crockett typical frame and uh, so I'm all excited and I finally watch him bed down and uh, so finally the stock's on but it took me several hours to get over there I think it was probably about two hours get over there and uh, got up there to where I felt like I was getting pretty close to where he was at and uh, started to go in it started to fog up and so I backed out because I didn't want to go in there with fog I mean I didn't want to be at a disadvantage so finally about 10 minutes later the fog lifted and uh, I started in and it, I was just taking two steps at a time and glass and picking it apart you know and I knew he bedded at the base of these small little yellow quakies and finally it probably took me, I don't know, 45 minutes to get to the point where I could see those quakey leads. And once I did, I was sitting there picking it apart. And finally, I see just the tips of his antlers. And uh, he'd raise his antlers up, and he'd lay them down. You know, I'd sit there, and I'm ready, just waiting for him. And long story short is I waited two hours and 37 minutes in that one exact spot waiting for him to stand up. I mean, he's only like 150 yards away, but he would raise his antlers up out of the brush. That's all I could see is his antlers. Couldn't see any part of his body. And you'd think he was getting up and then he'd get back down. But finally, like I say, two hours, 37 minutes, man, he got up and I just leveled him and he fell right back in his bed. But anyway, I know that's kind of a long story on that, but that kind of opened my eyes. I mean, I'm like, this buck is a 233-inch buck, and he's one-quarter mile from a major trailhead in the Grays River drainage that everybody's just walking right on by. So after that, I really started paying attention to that. And matter of fact, the last deer I killed in Wyoming, uh, 
was right next to a trailhead, probably a quarter mile from a trailhead as well. And uh, the main trailhead went up to one drainage, and there was one little tiny side drainage uh, right next to the trailhead that nobody went up because it didn't have a trail in it. And that's right where this buck was located. So, but I was probably so a mile away when I located him and did a stock on him, got him, and he's got a cool turned down main beam. And but you know that's that's two bucks right there that I killed just right next to the trailhead. And uh, you know, scar. I don't know if you're familiar with the scar buck. You know, I mean, I, I found him in Wyoming on the winter range and named him Scar because he had a scar on his muzzle. Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking for that deer. And I think you and I touched on this before, too, on the radio collar studies. You know, I mean, I, I look at a lot of those. And that kind of has opened my eyes, too, you know, as far as. And it just goes back to these big bucks aren't necessarily in the most remote country. They're just, they're where people do not hunt. You know, I mean, that could be on a golf course. It could be, <laughs> it could be a backcountry basin. You know, it, it just depends on wherever there's no pressure. And uh, so this scar buck, I mean, I knew he had to be in a place where there was no pressure. So I studied these radio collar studies and uh, looked at the migration patterns. There were two different high country areas where this buck could have been. And uh, I was struggling trying to figure out which one it was. And finally, a guy texted me a photograph of the deer and said, hey, I think I saw your buck migrating. And sure enough, it was him. And, you know, I feel bad for the guy because the guy didn't know he had his GPS turned on when he took the photo. So, (laughs) Instantly, I knew, okay, it's the northern area that he lives and not the southern area. So I ruled that out. So I started looking for him. You know, I went up there. And uh, anyway, long story short is that buck lived right next to the trailhead as well. I mean, he wasn't 10 miles deep. You know, he was within three quarters miles of a trailhead. So there's your three good examples of deer that just they're holed up, you know, where there's no hunting pressure uh, and close to a road. So what's go like one level deeper for me on how you're finding those little pockets. I mean, is it just boots on the ground? Are you utilizing Google earth and kind of what are you specifically looking for there to not waste your time of, you know, or is it just, you know, you spend time glassing areas and you happen stance on a spot and that's just how it happens. The bottom line is I just find the best vantage point that I can find. And I may use Google earth to find that vantage point and then actually go into glass from that point. But I'm just a firm believer in if I can class more country dust, I'm going to see more bucks. You know, whether that's and, uh, whether that's glassing across a major canyon with a road in the middle of it, or doesn't 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 matter. Yeah. Yep. And, and I've learned, you know, early on in my career, I mean, I was like everybody else, man. I was the first one up on top of the mountain. I mean, I just blew by that stuff. But anymore, once I really started killing big deer, I was paying attention to these little pockets, you know. And uh, I had seen several other deer that these people had killed, you know, just wandering right off the road into a timber thicket, you know, and killing a buck. And I'm like, so I, I just kind of paid attention to all that and learned. I mean, because once that first rifle shot goes off in the high country, I mean, man, those bucks, I mean, they have to survive. They're they not up at 12. Them. Yeah. They're not up at 12,000 <laughs> yeah. feet in the wide open. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in order to survive, they've got to drop down. So, you know, they're dropping down onto what I call like to call secondary ridges, you know? So that's kind of where I focus my efforts there. And, uh, you know, I just, ever since I started doing that, I mean, I see less deer, but I see bigger deer. Talk about, um, talk about other tactics that, that big bucks will pull on, on guys that you think are guys are not really catching on to most often. I mean, what are some of those, you know, one or maybe two, I can think of one specifically in your, um, I think it's in your edge book, um, following a buck in the snow and maybe you can, maybe that'll refresh your memory or you can come up with another one. 
Yeah, matter of fact, I use that technique to kill a buck. Uh, it's essentially glassing their tracks. You know, not necessarily glassing for the buck, but just glassing the tracks right to their bed. You know, uh, there in Wyoming, it's a buck that I killed. I don't remember what year it was. He was like a seven by eight buck, kind of narrow, but kind of cool. I actually was hiking up the drain. It was the last day of the season. I was hiking up the major drainage and glassed up and saw this buck, you know, way up towards the top of the mountains. So I'm like, okay, it's probably going to take me about an hour and a half to get up to him. But I started climbing and climbing. I mean, I started at two o'clock in the morning when I went to that trailhead uh, and hiked in because I wanted to be back in before light. And anyway, I started climbing this hill, got up there to where I knew he was, and he busted out of the timber. And I hate to say it, but I actually missed him. You know, and he went up over the top and into this far drainage. And so I went up to the top, couldn't see him, and uh, I had no idea where he went. So I went around the basin, just about a quarter of the way around the basin, where I could kind of glass where he ran over the basin. And I could pick up his tracks in the binoculars. So I ended up glassing his tracks, and it kind of disappeared in a few spots. So I had to move around a little bit to kind of continue following him. But then they finally went into this one timber thicket. Uh where they ended and it was obvious that he was still in there so i went back around on the basin where i directly above him and i could see him bedded in his bed and i actually killed him right there in his bed so yeah, i just essentially glass with cracks right to right to him and that was a long pack and uh, the reason why i mentioned that i got up at two in the morning because that's what time i got back the next morning was two <laughs> o'clock it was, it was a 24-hour hunt and that was there's been two times in my hunting career where I've done a 24 hour day hunt. So that was of, one of them. A lot of guys have 24 hour hunts, but it's a different kind. It's a, <laughs> it's just over in one day. They're not hunting for a full day. Exactly. But I killed a, uh, another buck in the salt river range where I did the same thing, you know, got up at like midnight and got back at midnight. So yeah, it, it makes for some long days, but man, it sure is enjoyable when you're uh, packing that thing off the mountain. Yeah. So no, I, I, I actually remember reading that uh, when I got that book. And I think you even mentioned in there, correct me if I'm wrong, but that you, when you glassed him, that buck was uh, not only bedded there, but he was looking at his back trail. Is that right? He, he, he was. Yep. yep, exactly. So yep. I remember I read that and I, and I internalized it and just kind of left it there. And then all of a sudden I'm hunting Colorado uh, last year. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was the same unit that, uh, I, I ran into, uh, Brian Barney and mm -hmm. who you probably know. Anyway, yep. the last guy you want to see in your mule deer unit for sure. Besides <laughs> probably you, um, I got yelled at by the way, that's another side story. I'll, I can tell you that later by a guy <laughs> when I came up on his deer. Gotcha. So, um, so, so there, there I am and, and Brian and I had kind of spotted this buck and he tells this story in his podcast. So, you know, if you want to hear the whole nitty gritty details, go there, but he, he and I spotted this buck around the same time from, from completely different areas and kind of merged together, um, on our way to this buck and he was all packed up and I was still buttoning up my camp. And so I, you know, he, it was clearly his stock. And so I let him, I let him have it. And so I just kind of watched from a distance. And he goes up and it didn't quite work out. I think the wind swirled on him or something. Um, and so two, two things happened here that, that uh, you just triggered in my mind. So one was that buck, this is like opening day of the bow hunt, right? right. And, and these bucks were, they were up in their, you know, what you'd consider their primary summer range up. I mean, they were on the top of this open, completely open face. And the first thing I noticed was after he blew those deer out, 
they all kind of blew down and they ended up, I, I, I saw the biggest of the buck of the group. I watched him for another three or four days on and off and he never went back up in that high spot. He, Mm -hmm. at that point, like you said, he kind of hit those secondary ridges and he was just in and out of the thicker trees. That was the first thing. The second thing is all of a sudden I'm watching this buck and he blows out around the the ridge that, that Brian's on and he comes around and I have a perfect vantage point of where he's, where he's at. And he swings around the hillside and he's with two or three other bucks in the group and two or three other real young bucks. And they just kind of disappear over it. Just keep going around the ridge on the, basically the backside now of the peak that Brian was, you know, the face that he was on. And Mm -hmm. he almost did the same thing. That big buck almost did the same thing. He got to the edge of the, of the hill where I would have lost sight of him and he stopped. And he stood there and he kind of watched and he watched those little bucks go all around the corner. And then all of a sudden he turned around and he came back and he's going right back his back trail. And I'm like, Hmm, he's not joining up with those other bucks and he's heading back his back trail closer to where, to where Brian was. And then that mm-hmm. sucker bedded down and he not only bedded down, but he bedded down looking, looking dr- directly yep. at his backtracks. And yep. instantly I, I thought of that story that you had told and I thought, man, like, I'm, I'm finally starting to p- figure it out here. Like these bucks are just one step ahead of me for so many years. How many times has this happened? <laughs> well, unfortunately I was a little slow at learning that, you know, when I was really young, you know, I mean, heck I used to walk the hills and I'd jump a big old buck, you know, and not get a shot. Cause you know, either the camera was too thick or whatever, just didn't have a shot. And I'd be sitting there following his back trail ridge over ridge, you know, and you could see where he'd start slowing down and everything. And you could, then you could see where I'd spooked him again and he, pick up speed again but i was stupid enough that i didn't you know pick up on that and i just kept chasing him and chasing yeah. him and never did get a shot you know? just so, yo just yo-yoing with him exactly you never i mean yeah you're totally at a disadvantage because he's standing there looking at your bed there looking at you and here you are moving constantly so yeah the one tip on that would be man if something goes over if you chase a buck over the ridge I mean, don't go over in the same location, you know, where he went over, just, uh, go around the ridge, you know, the base and the head of the base a little farther to where he's not focused on that area and start picking it apart from there. So, yeah. and if there's snow on the ground, that's an added bonus. Like I say, glass in the tracks is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, uh, you got a question here. I, I did text, I mentioned earlier before we hit record, I text one of my one of my mule deer fanatic buddies, uh, you probably know Henry Ferguson there in, in Colorado. You know Henry? Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's 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 giving you a hard time here for taking a few uh, few years off, and we already we already covered that. But then he says, but seriously, seriously, ask uh, ask David how important his past experience in scouting will be when he comes back. You know, and I don't know if that means you know if he thinks well, that Go I ahead. can touch on I just from what I take on that. I mean. Obviously, I kind of hit on this. I did a podcast with uh, Cody Rich years ago, you know, and uh, and I told him, you know, I mean, I used to scout a ton. I mean, a bunch. And, you know, before the season, then go up and hunt. And anymore, I mean, I've got too many other things going on in life. I mean, I was running ultra marathons and stuff back then and didn't have the time to do the scouting. So to say, you know, how important the scouting is, it's the past scouting is absolutely critical because I feel like I can go back into any of these areas, you know, that I've hunted previously without any scouting, you know, and be successful in those. So, because honestly, I don't have the time to scout right now. So the pre all the previous scouting is super valuable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you even mentioned you guys, you and your wife are moving to Texas, right? 
Yeah, we're ex- exactly. And it's going to be even harder to get up here and do any scouting. So, yeah. but I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I know those areas so well, you know, I, like I say, I feel like I can go in there. I know which areas I can go to for early. I know which ones I can go to mid season. And I also know where I want to be, you know, during the late season where I can catch the bucks migrating through, you know, so uh, just like we did that here several years ago, I took my brother up in the Hoback in Wyoming. You know, we had some snow and you could have scouted it all you wanted to and it wouldn't be any good because those bucks are moving, you know, at that time of year. So we went back in there in this one area where we knew that the bucks came through, you know, thank, once again, thanks to the radio collar studies. And uh, we just sat there. We were patient, man. And we ended up killing a 190 inch buck out of there. So it's just it's that bank information is just so valuable. Yeah. Yeah, are you uh do you have states uh l- like o- only going after states that you've hunted in the past or do you have I mean do you I I'm just curious, you know, if if a guy like you uh, even dabbles with, you know, new units or new states or if you just kind of going to play that that uh that game plan of, you know, I've been here before, I know that there's bucks here. I mean, um, I, I would I would rather go back into the units that I know, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, it's just a matter of getting tags, obviously. You know, I mean, I haven't been building points anywhere, so that's going to become challenging. Like Wyoming, for instance. I mean, I won't be a Wyoming resident, so it's going to be several years before I get back into Wyoming, you know, but I'll still start building those points. But Colorado, I feel like I can get an archery tag every year down here so i will be hunting colorado for archery and then idaho obviously has some over-the-counter tags so i'll be going back over there but uh to answer your question yeah i'm gonna go back into familiar units that i'm familiar with yeah because i don't have the time to you know waste scouting right. on other new areas at this point so uh indifferent rifle rifle or bow at this point i i kind of feels like you're just look at looking for tags maybe not a specific just archery only no i'm an opportunist man if it's a bow <laughs> tag i'll go that route if it's a rifle tag i'll go that way yeah. so i mean I, I enjoy hunting with both you know uh early on i tried i mean obviously i started rifle hunting that's where i started and i loved rifle hunting and then i just kind of wanted a new challenge and when i still lived in wyoming i started dabbling in the archery and i never really had a lot of success at it and i could i could tell i mean i told myself i said okay you got to take archery serious you know if you're going to actually kill anything with a bow and that's what i did down in colorado because obviously it's a pick your weapon you know it's not wyoming you could hunt archery and then pick up a rifle and go back and rifle hunt it where down here you got to pick your weapon so that kind of forced me to take it serious was putting in for an archery tag in colorado and uh, you know obviously i had some pretty good success down here with the bow right as soon as i picked it up but it was just a matter of making it my main weapon and uh, making it a you know a focus yeah yep i'm with you but i enjoy both i wouldn't say i favor one over the other at all yeah yeah that you know it, it for a long, lot of years there, I was, <clears throat> well, I grew up rifle hunting, kind of converted to archery only for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years or whatever that was, 10 years maybe. And, you know, then just, I don't know, just kind of started realizing that, man, these other guys were still hunting in, you know, late in September, October, November, mm-hmm. over in like Colorado and up in Idaho and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's like, man, what am I doing? You know, I don't, I don't love, I don't love uh, archery hunting so much that, you know, it was almost, it was almost me choosing, uh, to do that for the wrong reasons, you know, just kind of the image yep. of it, I yep. guess, you know, it was, yep. it was kind of like backpack hunting, you know, it's like, 
um, you know, don't, don't just backpack hunt to backpack hunt, backpack hunt. Cause you love backpacking. Um, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what I felt like I was picking up a, a bow and, and, and almost being a purist about it. Like, Oh, if you don't bow hunt, mm, man, like, you know, and it just, it just didn't sit well with me. It wasn't my mantra really in, in my, in my heart. And so I just, it's like, like you said, I mean, man, there's so many great, uh, rifle tags, muzzleloader tags. I'm starting to get very interested in muzzleloader hunting, uh, you know, especially working, working where I work, where we've got muzzleloaders, you know, with the right optics and you're, you know, I mean, my wife and I shot mule deer at, you know, 350 yards with muzzleloaders last year. So, um, yeah. And that's, that's the one thing I haven't dabbled in yet is the muzzleloader. So ooh, let's meet up in Colorado and we'll go, uh, I'll bring, Let's do it. I'll bring some toys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sitting here looking at this book, what, what, so you, you, when did you write that first Wyoming's finest meal or uh, greatest meal there? That was in 1998. 98. That was yeah. a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it only took us what, 20 years to get that thing updated. Well, so I've, I've thought about that. Do you feel like that was, I mean, was that strategic or do you feel like that was like, you should have done it 10 years sooner? Or do you feel like that was actually played to your advantage? Cause you've got 20 years of content now to throw in there. Well, I think a little bit of all of it, you know, I mean, I think uh, it's something that probably could have been done 10 years ago uh, because obviously social media, you know, when we did that first book, it was tough locating people, you know, I mean, there was no such thing as social media. It's not like you could just look up Dustin Whitworth, you know, and say, Hey, send me a photo of your book. And thank you for submitting your photo, by the way. But, well, I would love to take credit for that deer, but you know, that was my brother's deer, right? <laughs> you submitted the photo, didn't you? I, your I submitted the, I probably submitted the photo cause a, I took it and, uh, B well, I guess that's it. I just took it. I can't take any more credit than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was with him and we, the story on that is we, uh, page 199, if anyone's interested and it's, it's just a short, you know, and, and first of all, I'll say the caliber of other mule deer that are in this book. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, even that deer made the, made the pages. Honestly, it's just, uh, pretty humbling because these deer are real, these are real big bucks. And that was just a kind of a cool story. But, um, yeah, J Jason had found that deer, uh, bow hunting, uh, obviously in the same, not only the same unit, but the same little drainage side pocket, uh, -huh. uh hunted it for three or four days was within bow range. Um, but something with his range finder had lost it or forgot it or something stupid and, and didn't feel comfortable taking the shot. And so him and I show up maybe two or three weeks later, right after a, right in the middle of a big snowstorm and you know how good that can be. And, uh, Oh yeah. Yep. But honestly, I mean, those, the, that buck that he chased and then the one that I, or, uh, the one that I ended up shooting were, were just kind of bachelored up there, uh, early October and they hadn't moved, you know, they're in the same, uh -huh. same little pocket. And so, um, yeah. yeah, the mass, the mass on that deer was just crazy, but. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's what got it in the book. I mean, obviously, score is not everything, you know. I mean, uh, you got to have some wow factor on some of those. But, you know, but yeah, to go back to your original question, I mean, this book probably should have been done about 10 years ago, you know, but it's something where, like, once again, just everybody's busy and no time, you know. And then I started this thing, the second one, probably, oh, shoot, I don't know, six years ago, something like that. And it's just one of those things where it's just finding time to finish it. And I didn't know if it was actually ever going to get done, to be honest with you. But but it really, 
we benefited by waiting because man, there's been an amazing amount of big deer killed in the last 20 years, you know, in Wyoming. So the book is that much better of a book, you know, by waiting this long. So, and obviously this book book is all color, you know, mm-hmm. but we're really proud of this one, man. It's a, it really came together well and we're receiving nothing but positive feedback on this thing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, just, you know, I, I, uh, I read through it when I first got it and then just re refresh my memory, but man, the, yeah. How, how much did you see the, um, you know, the rankings here of, you know, just the overall or the, the different categories? I mean, how much did those change in 20 years as far as, you know, I mean, a lot of these are from 2015, 2017, 20, you know, 2019, mm-hmm. whatever, like maybe not 2019 yet, but. Yeah. To be honest with you, I mean, you didn't sh- the as far as the absolute top heads, like in the non-typical uh, Boone and Crockett, it didn't shake that up a whole lot because a lot of those big deer were killed many, many years ago. Back you in know, the heyday. Not necessarily new. Yeah, back in the heyday. I mean, you just, man, you're not seeing any 270 inch bucks roaming around nowadays. It's yeah. just very rare, you know. So uh, I'd say the typical category was shook up more than anything, you know. Uh, obviously, there's always some good typicals being killed. Uh, but once again, not just a tremendous amount. Most of the new typicals killed were, you know, ranked down towards the bottom half i would guess of that so yeah I mean, I, although there's a, been a lot of boone, boone and crockett deer killed you know very few big non-typicals were yeah. killed in the last 20 years so what do you what do you think i mean as a as a guy thumbs through this i mean you know some might look at this as just like a, a coffee table uh you know talking point for when their buddies come over but i see this as like an opportunity to really learn, um, you know, and, and I think that, I mean, what, how, how would you recommend a guy uses this book to his advantage to kill big deer? Uh, you know, I mean, if you, I guess the main thing is in the first, in my other book, I think it was public land muleys. And we think we had it in Wyoming's finest, you know, we broke down the counties and everything, you know, where the big bucks were coming from. And I guess that's the one thing where I would say, if there's any one thing you would do with this, you would pay attention to what counties are currently producing big mule deer, you know, because there are certain counties that maybe historically produce big mule deer, but aren't necessarily doing it anymore. So that's the first thing I would suggest looking at Dustin is as you go glancing through there, pay attention to the localities of where the newer uh, bucks are being killed. Yeah. Um, Because man, it's like if, if, if there's certain country in a county that holds big deer in the sixties, it's probably still maybe not as many and they might be harder to find or whatever, but, um, it's still going to hold them today. Would you, would you agree with that? I would in certain areas. Yes. I mean, there's some areas that historically had some, but really don't anymore because I mean, I don't want to get into the management aspect and all that, you know, a lot of factors play into that, but you got certain areas like the Hoback and the Grays river. I mean, obviously they're, the his, they got a rich history, you know, big mule deer, and obviously they're still producing big mule deer, you know. So, yeah, there's certain areas that they will always produce big mule deer. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, so I got a signed copy. Are you? Is that ship sailed, or are you guys still signing copies of this? We we're not signing any copies right now. The hard part with that is we've got other people uh, doing the fulfillment 
of it. So they're sending it out. So, you know, it well, kind of makes it difficult. We didn't sign a bunch of them in, in advance, I guess, and give them to our fulfillment center. So, well, good because that makes uh, mine more special. And there you go. There you re- go. Rewards me for acting early. As soon as I saw this, I had to have one. So, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, You've been dropping them off here in a few places in Wyoming, but, you know, for a lot of the guys, you know, we've got a lot of listeners, Utah and Texas and California or whatever. Where uh, where do they go to find one? Yeah, I mean, first of all, in Wyoming, if you're in Wyoming, and the best place to find it is any Rocky Mountain discount sports store. We've got it in all five locations there, and then the Sports World in Evanston. So those are the main stores in Wyoming that we're going to be selling them through. And then anybody else that wants a copy, I mean, themuledeerhunter.com, that's our website, and you can go on there and purchase purchase it on there. Love best it. place to find it. Love it. Yeah, I mean, talk about just a perfect, like, Christmas present, you know, Um for i was just we were talking before we hit record and like you know i'll probably buy out half of the ones you've got here at rocky mountain in in cody just for my buddy's christmas presents or whatever so spoiler alert if you're my buddy and you're listening (laughs) i hope so because i guaranteed them that you guys would come in and buy half (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fine Uh, that's fine uh so what's i mean uh Man, I, I don't know if David Long wants people contacting him or getting in touch with him or whatever, but if, if you do, I mean, is there maybe just a less form, like a less, uh, you know, intimate, like an email where it's just, you know, you can get to people at your own time or, or are you trying to get more active on the social media? I tell you, I mean, if anybody wants to contact him, I try to respond to every single person that contacts me. I mean, obviously there's some that I just don't, I mean, if they're asking for, you know, specific hunting area <laughs> information, I, t- I hate to say it, but I just kind of ignore those questions anymore. Uh, but anybody wanting to shoot me a question or want to visit about anything, I mean, I, shoot, I, I enjoy doing that, uh, Dustin. So Facebook messenger is probably about the easiest way if you want to contact me. So, but like I say, be patient. I mean, uh, but I most likely will get back to you. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're in the, right now you're in the middle of a, or about to be in the middle of a move, it sounded like. Oh, man. Yeah. And with uh, 11 <laughs> horses here on the property. Oh, man. Busy too. 11 so. horses. Are those uh, like backcountry, backcountry pack string, or is that just a uh, hobby, or what are those for? My wife would cringe if you mentioned taking her horses into the backcountry because <laughs> she, she does a lot of English riding. She's oh, a trainer. Proper. She's a horse trainer. So she trains people to ride horses. She trains horses. She does a lot of uh, hunter jumper and dressage type stuff with her horses. So, yeah, these horses will not set foot in the Fan- backcountry. Yeah, too fancy. That. Too fancy. <laughs> no, they, they eat better than I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just had your dreams of uh, – uh, Rhett and one of David's horses shattered. Just hit me up for yeah, hit me up for on. the yeah hit me up for the llamas. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll rent you some pack llamas. <laughs> I I learned a long time ago though. You know the way I wanted to hunt was with the backpack because uh, we I mean I've tried it with horses before and you know we were chasing horses down and found the horse back at the trailhead and all that fun stuff and you know the backpack. The good thing about that is I can set it down by a tree, dust it, and take off and go do something. Come back, and it's always right there by the tree where I left it. So <laughs> it's never once took off and left me. <laughs> oh, I laugh because I've chased llamas down the ridge. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, anybody who's taken and, any kind of critter yeah. back has done that at one time or another. So. Yeah, horses too. Oh, yeah, man. they've got. A, they definitely have a mind of their own. 
last last question here. We're we're ho- just holistically and and just like a one line answer here. I mean, where's a guy who maybe I don't know. Let's say a guy who's just like I want to get into. I want to get into killing big mule deer. Like I just, that's my thing. I, I've killed a lot of mule deer and I just want to like, I want to dedicate my hunting seasons to killing mule deer. Like what is your, what's, where's the, where, what state does a guy need to be hunting in? Uh, Colorado yeah. <clears throat> is what I would say. I mean, got a lot of guys will probably get mad at me for saying that, but yeah, without a doubt, I would say Colorado, Colorado's got some great opportunities as far as, uh, you know, different weapons, you know, the sad thing about Colorado is, you know, like the rifle hunts, they take years and years and years to draw, you know, for the rifle hunts, but there's some great opportunities for the archers or the muzzleloader hunters. So, and the other one I'd say, I mean, to go to as far as a guaranteed tag, I'd say Idaho, the numbers are really down in Idaho right now. Uh, but obviously it all, Idaho, you know, has a rich history in a mule deer as well. And you always have the potential at killing a big deer over there. Matter of fact, like I told you before, that's one of the States I'm going to be hunting again. So I would suggest if you just want a place to hunt, you know, where you can buy an over the counter tag, uh, for rifle, I'd suggest Idaho. Uh, just a quick follow-up question. I'm sure you've been following the winters, obviously, and how it relates to mule deer. I mean, where do, where do you see the kind of the mountain, you know, mountain west uh, regions of the, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, I, uh, Colorado type country faring at the moment? Uh, right now, I think they're actually faring pretty well. So from what I've heard, so yeah. I talked to a game and fish uh, oh, here not too long ago and the report they gave me, especially for Wyoming, is that all the deer were faring pretty well over there in that Wyoming range deer herd. So yeah, they did uh, well. you know, I, I've only been up in this country for this is what second, my second winter, my assessment of not having any expertise whatsoever was we got we got as much snow as we needed, but you know, if it had gone much worse, we would have been probably, it would have been a little different story, but it feels like we just had a, what I would consider like a, an ideal winter, you know, just yeah. Per- yeah. perfect winter, just enough to keep the snow. I mean, I was just down in, down in uh, the back country here in Wyoming a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, massive snow bank still up high, you know, 4th of July weekend. Um, but you know, it just didn't feel like we got those real nasty, like, two week long below sub, you know, sub freezing for two weeks straight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's good. Like I said, all in all, it sounds like a pretty good winter up there, but I think we need a couple of those winters back to back, you know, that are pretty good. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. I'll, I'll wrap up here, man. Um, I, I just, uh, I want to give you credit, David, for just a, for jumping on and, uh, you know, just willing to come, come back and kind of step back into the circle, so to speak. And, um, and, and put yourself out there and put your information out there. Um, cause it's, it's super valuable to us. And then, um, also want to give you credit. I, I know, uh, you know, I, I just know that you're a, you're a God fearing man. You know, you're a, you're a guy who respects, uh, you know, freedom of religion and, and, uh, and family and, and stuff like that. And, uh, absolutely man, you know, more than ever, uh, I won't be shy about, saying that now now more than ever um we're seeing the appearance of of just people who don't maybe have the same values that's all i'll say I, I, all i'll say is i agree with that yeah yep so but give no, you- i mean let's make sure we touch bases here you know uh 
midwinter, maybe we can do another one. I can kind of give you an update on what I'm doing as far as equipment and everything, getting ready for the 2021 season. So yeah, love it, man. You've got me jacked up for. I mean, I've I've, I've been uh, I've kind of flipped a switch in the last three four years or whatever it's been. Uh, Mule deer occupies a lot of my uh, a lot of my my thinking and my time. Um, I mean, I even have like a a very coveted uh, moose tag in Utah mm-hmm. this year and a pretty coveted uh, elk tag here in Wyoming. And all I can think about is going and scouting some general deer tag that I have. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only scouting scouting trips I've made so far is for mule deer. So I learned a a long time ago, man, I don't want to hunt any animal that's so big that I can't pack it out in one trip. So (laughs) I ruled out elk and moose a lot of years ago. Well, that's what Harry and Lloyd and Anato are for out in my pasture here. Uh, is packing packing big old moose out. So (laughs) well cool man. Appreciate you jumping on and uh yeah we'll stay in touch and and uh, be following along with you. Sounds good. Appreciate it Dustin. Yes sir. Have a good one. Thanks David. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey everybody thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.